Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Miami. Punched together on the defensive line. Here they come. Jackson gets rid of it. Hot read. Ball. Pop free. After it was caught by Watkins. Miami running with the football. Xavier Howard scoops it up. Down the sideline. Makes a move. 20, 15, 10. He's going to go. Howard all the way. Touchdown. Dolphins. What a turn of events. What a turn of events indeed. On the same field where the Ravens beat the Dolphins 59-10 to to start the 2019 season. Brian Flores' first game as an NFL head coach. It wasn't quite a turning of the tables, but 22-10 to was the outcome. Something that I don't think anyone saw coming, especially not the Baltimore Ravens last night. It's PFT Live. Here on Peacock, eventually on NBCSN and Sky Sports NFL and wherever you get your podcasts and Sirius XM 85. And it's Peter King along with Mike Florio for the next two hours. Good morning, Peter. Scale of one to ten. How surprised were you by what we saw last night? Well, Mike, probably uh, before four days ago, I would have said a nine. But after what we saw the other day with Tennessee going in and 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 beating up the Rams without Derrick Henry and and Denver going to Dallas, uh, the Giants beating the Raiders, all that stuff. I, I mean, to me, I'm surprised, but it's one of those things in the NFL. I, I I'm just saying that uh, there should be nothing that truly is something that makes you lose your breath, because look, every team has the ability to figure out a way to make it harder on somebody. Brian Flores was on Bill Belichick's coaching staff for, what, 14 years? And every single week, Bill Belichick formulated a game plan that frustrated the opposition. You know, he was never predictable. And I think last night, what we saw in the constant blitzing of Lamar Jackson 
we saw something that, and and every single time you see a game where a, a great player like Lamar Jackson gets totally frustrated and neutralized, you say, well, there's the blueprint for beating Lamar Jackson. Well, I'm not so sure of that because Greg Roman's going to figure out a way. We're going to dump it to the tight end. We're going to run wheel routes out of the backfield. And don't worry about that. We'll figure a way. And they probably will. But for last night, the constant pressure that Lamar Jackson faced, the Ravens just never figured out a way to uh, combat that. And that's the thing. It's, it's, it's one thing to figure out going forward how to deal with it but good coaching includes figuring out on the fly what's going on and how to combat it Peter last night there were 38 blitzes between the two safeties of the Miami Dolphins that's the most by far for defensive back blitzes in years it just kept coming and coming and coming and the Ravens had no answer so until they have an answer let's just keep doing it Let's keep using that play that works until they find a way to beat it. And it it just makes me wonder what the Ravens are going to come up with because they clearly weren't coming up with anything as the game was unfolding. It reminded me of what happened with the Bills on Sunday against Jacksonville where the team that is supposedly the much better team just assumes that if it keeps doing what it planned to do, it's eventually going to work not let's dramatically pivot to something that maybe we weren't planning to do. Let's tear up plan A and come up with a plan B on the fly because plan A is supposed to work against this team because we're dramatically better than this team and plan A inevitably is going to prevail. I felt like that's the same trap that the Ravens fell into last night. Hey, look, Mike, for as much criticism as Chris Greer and Brian Flores has got, have, have gotten for not using their draft picks well, you know, the draft picks that, that they got in, uh, uh, particularly in the Laramie Tunsil trade. And look, until they find a quarterback who's going to be really, really good, so they are going to get criticized. But I'll just tell you this, last night, I think one of the most uh, encouraging signs, if I'm the Dolphins, is there's a player who America, nobody in America, unless you're from uh, from the Pac-12, because that's where Javon Holland played with Oregon, nobody knew who Javon Holland was. And what Javon Holland is, he was the 36th pick in the draft, and he came with one of the picks from that trade. And so I just always look at things like that You have to take the long-haul view. And look, we don't know about the quarterback yet. You know, Tua Tonga-Valoa has not been good enough. He's been consistently injured for whatever reason, okay? But he hasn't been good enough. So, the you know, whether or not this front office and this coach know what they're doing, a lot of it is going to be told by whether they can find a quarterback. But I thought last night, the best defensive player on the field on either team, and that includes Xavier Howard, who did make a great play. But the best defensive player on the field last night was the 36th pick in this year's draft, which finally started to bear some fruit for Miami. Well, and I think that's another thing to keep in mind as we get deeper into the season. Teams definitely are going to change. Bad teams will get better. 
good teams may show flaws. And the best example of that, you talked about how as of Sunday, this would have been a huge surprise. Based on Sunday, nothing surprises now. This is a tweet that Michael David Smith of PFT posted just before the show began. Underdogs of more than seven points have gone four and one in the last five days. Dolphins last night, Broncos over Dallas, Jaguars over Bills, and Titans over the Rams. Prior to Sunday, underdogs of more than seven points were one and 26. So from one and 26 to four and one, just like that, just like that. And, you know, it, it shows that, that you, you, you can get complacent as a good team against a bad team. And maybe it shows in the preparation or lack thereof in the, amount of elbow grease that's spent on devising creative ways to deal with that opponent because our standard stuff will work against this opponent. Let's save the creativity for the Browns or the Steelers or the Bengals or the Packers. Let's not waste it on the Dolphins. And I say that because after the game, straight to the podium went John Harbaugh, the coach of the Ravens, and he made it clear that this one was on him for failing to have his team prepared. Here's Coach Harbaugh after the loss. The bottom line is this, uh, this falls squarely on, on me as the head coach. We were not prepared the way we need to be prepared. Our schemes weren't up to snuff, uh, and we weren't, uh, we weren't prepared to execute the way we needed to. So that's it, not on one player. Our players played their hearts out. They worked hard all week. They did everything they could to be prepared, and, uh, and we just weren't ready. That's on me. We, it was hard to get first downs, you know, so it's hard to get a rhythm when you can't get started. You know, we, too many times we didn't get started. There were too many three and outs. And uh, there was some crowd noise and things like that in terms of communication. And sometimes you've got to handle blitzes. You've got to put plays together that are a little more complicated. But that's no excuse. I mean, we just didn't handle it well. They, they're blitzing us, and we've got to handle it a lot better. And that's on us as coaches. Look, I, I always appreciate when a coach is willing to take the blame and not blame his players. You blame the players behind the curtain. Publicly, you protect the players. And there are plenty of good coaches who have consistently done that. You don't go out there and say, hey, yeah, well, we came up with great plays. These idiots just don't know how to run them. We're trying to tell Lamar Jackson how to deal with the blitz. Something something wasn't working. You know, he's not going to do that. And it's easy to do it when, you, when you're one of the best coaches in the NFL. They're not going to fire John Harbaugh because he crapped the bed one night in in mid-November but but still you know it it really does raise some alarms about this Ravens team when you look at who they have coming up they've got the Bears okay after that they got seven games and they can lose any some or all of them two against the Steelers two against the Browns the Bengals the Packers the Rams they're gonna have to earn it they went from being a few weeks ago a team that we're thinking, hey, they could be the one seed again. It could be 2019 all over again, Peter. Now they're going to be and in a fight. Be. Week in and well, they still could be. They still could be, but they're going to have to earn it one week at a time. Look, here's the one thing that I, th- I mean, look, two observations after listening to John Harbaugh, and I had not heard that until it just played. Mike, I bet twice a week in the NFL, a coach stands in front of the media after the game and says. That loss falls on me. So, and again, maybe it does. And maybe sometimes it does, but maybe sometimes he also wants to take the pressure off the players, as you say. You know what I thought of when I heard him saying that? And he said, you know, it, it falls on me. Uh, we didn't have the schemes uh, to, to have our players prepared, all that stuff. I think 
one of the things that that he he doesn't say is, you know, our offense wasn't prepared for what we faced in this game. And that is going to have to change. In other words, he's not saying, hey, Greg Roman, you know, handle the blitz, will you? If you see it coming early, do something. And the Ravens never could do, maybe, maybe there was nothing they could do, but they didn't do anything to handle the blitz last night. And that to me was the most disheartening thing. They never, ever made progress on handling pressure. But you know what the other thing I thought of, Mike, when I'm listening to him? I said, last night after the game, you know, I'm sort of looking at the standings and trying to figure out some of the stuff we're going to talk about today. And if you look at the AFC standings right now, and you go 1-16, to you don't do them by division, you do it by conference. The, The second through 11th teams right now, the second through 11th seeds in the AFC right now have either three or four losses. So what, 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 the, what, what I mean to say is that every single coach from 2 to 11, from John Harbaugh at 2 to Vic Fangio of the Denver Broncos at 11, I would bet has stood up at some point this year maybe multiple points and said, man, we just weren't ready to handle what they threw at us today, and that's on me. And the only point overarching that I would make about that is that this AFC is absolutely unequivocally, almost in an unprecedented way, as wide open at the midpoint of the season as I ever remember. And that's good news and bad news, potentially, because you lose a few games between now and the middle of December and you fall out or you get hot. And I said this earlier in the week. It seems like every year there's a team that's right around 500, right around now, Thanksgiving-ish, that begins to figure it out, that begins to get hot, that begins to realize we have no further margin for error and we just string wins together and carry it into the postseason, that mindset. You've been in playoff mode for weeks. The playoffs are no big deal. We've been handling this concept of can't lose another, can't lose another, can't lose another. Maybe maybe that urgency doesn't really kick in until Christmas for some teams this year when you look at the standings in the AFC and see how wide open it is. This is Pete Rozelle's dream. This is this is parody yes, is. to have that many teams clustered 10 weeks in. And if it can hold, you know, ideally what the NFL wants is everyone alive for the playoffs going into week 18. Still have to get used to saying week 18. And we sort it all out in 10 hours of craziness on the final day of the regular season. That's what the NFL would want every single year, as many teams alive as long as possible. And when you have 11 that are that alive in the AFC, that that makes for a great chase down the stretch. But the problem is there's still hey, going to be three or I, four good teams that don't get in. Can I just interject one other thing about parity and what the NFL has to be absolutely drooling over? You know what makes you forget the taunting call that was the most asinine call in history. <laughs> Do you know what makes you forget the sanction on Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers that was 
one-tenth <laughs> as light as the sanction on Daniel Snyder and the WFT. You know what makes you forget all that? I wrote about this 10 days ago. I said what makes people forget is the white noise of great NFL weekends, okay? And that's what's going to happen again, and I'll tell you why. Because right now, today, if you look at the two most competitive divisions right now in the NFL are the AFC North and the AFC West. In the AFC West, all four teams, they're separated by a half game. They're all either five and three or five and four. AFC North, look at that division. The best team is six and three. The worst two teams are five and four. And so I'm just telling you right now that the NFL has it exactly where it wants in all ways, because now all of a sudden you don't have to look at the shiny object that is the ridiculously dumb call uh, on Cassius Marsh on Monday night. That's, that's in the rear view mirror. That, you know, we're, we're looking at the games right now, and the NFL has it that way. That's funny. I've been saying that all week. All I got to do is get to Thursday. With all this criticism of Tony Corrente and his hip check and the taunting call and the NFL, finally, Peter, I, I thought of you, and, and I may have even mentioned you previously this week, because you've said in the past, when we went from Mike Pereira with a tiny little Carl Johnson experiment that didn't last long to Dean Blandino to Al Riveron, the idea that the person in that senior VP of officiating role having the most important job in the league office during the season, yeah. because that is the person who communicates with the public, that job's been vacant now. Completely vacant. They have no one. They have nothing. They had the Perry Fuel reading off of note cards video or a teleprompter with very conclusory statements saying that posturing now, posturing is, there's no posturing prohibited in the rule book, but po, you know, they, they find, they, they, they <laughs> felt enough of the heat posturing. that they felt compelled to put that ridiculous video that insults even the per person of average intelligence like me, but it's all wiped clean. You're absolutely right. It's, it's all, it's, it's the control alt delete function for the NFL. It's gone now. The, the, the next compelling primetime game has gotten us, other than for right now, to quit talking about it. I, it's amazing. Hey Mike, Mike, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I need to talk about just one little thing that I've heard no one talk about this week. And I promise I will take no more left turns in the next hour and 50 minutes. But I'm going to take one I like one left right turns. Now. Okay. So I'm going to just take this one left turn and I'm going to say... If, you, if I asked you right now, give me the five most pugnacious, tough, physically, mentally tough coaches and teams in football, wouldn't you say that the Pittsburgh Steelers were in that top five? Yes. Okay. So Cassius Marsh goes and he's about 30 feet from the Pittsburgh sidelines, maybe 40 feet from the Pittsburgh sidelines, and he just flexes or postures or whatever. Is there one single Pittsburgh Steeler who, there's no bears anywhere in sight. Is there any Pittsburgh Steelers anywhere who voices objection or who runs at Marsh, who waves at him, says, get the bleep away from, uh, from us, 
get the bleep away from 30 yards away from our sidelines. Nothing. This was the non-tauntingest taunting foul that I've ever seen in my life. It's ridiculous. And no matter how much time the NFL spends in trying to justify it, I will say that call stunk. It's ridiculous. And it's a damn good thing that Justin Fields basically bailed out the NFL by still being able to drive the length of the field and score after that. One last point before we get back to last night's game, because I think it is important that we don't take the cheese and forget about the flaws just because we've had a great game happen. We, we still need to be vigilant about the Washington football team investigation, the ridiculously light penalties imposed as a result of blatant and deliberate and intentional COVID pro protocol violations in Green Bay by Aaron Rodgers that were enabled and empowered and ignored by the team, but also the horrendous officiating. Rich McKay, in explaining this new point of emphasis back in April, said... We want to get rid of the face-to-face, the pointing of fingers, the standing over players on the ground. There's nothing about posturing toward a general group of human beings who are 30 feet away. That's not going to start a rumble on the next snap. That's what they're trying to avoid. And now what they've done to justify, to double down, to tell the rest of us, how dare you try to criticize the way we officiate our games They've made posturing part of it. And I'm going to be very interested, Peter, to see going forward if they apply the rule that way or if this was just what they had to say to turn the page. Because I have a feeling they're not going to be policing posturing on a weekly basis. It's only going to come up again the next time there's a ridiculous call like the one we saw the other night. But I don't think we're going to see another ridiculous call like that. They just don't want to admit they're wrong. They don't want to admit they're wrong. Okay, maybe we were wrong. I'm telling you right now. Just spend 10 minutes on that. I'm just... I'm just telling you right now, I, I, I mean, like, Pete Rosell would be rolling over in his grave. He would be rolling over in his grave. This is oh, it's a, a debacle, and no, no amount of press release or video explanation is going to ever be able to tell me that the flag that was thrown on Cassius March by Tony Carrenti is has any justification in the sport of football i said yesterday peter they think we're stupid if they're going to sell us this nonsense they just think we're stupid or they don't care and that may be what it is they just don't care and they'd better care because these officiating flaws are going to create major problems as more and more states bring gambling online as something that people can legally do and i've said in the past let me just say this one last time then we'll get back to the game i've said in the past that the NFL needs to get this all buttoned up because if they don't, Congress is going to intervene and maybe even create an agency that has oversight of sports the way the SEC has oversight of the stock trade. I'm starting to think maybe that's just what we need to do because I'm banging my head into the wall trying to get the NFL to improve on its own before Congress shows up. Maybe Congress needs to show up and take care of this mess because the NFL seems completely disinclined to clean it up on its own. All right, we'll see if the Ravens can clean up the mess they created last night when they play the Bears in nine days. Let's get some love to, uh, to the Miami Dolphins. And you mentioned Tua Tonga-Vailoa, Peter. Look, what a weird week it's been for him. He's healthy enough to be the backup. He's healthy enough to be the only other option behind Jacoby Brissett, but he's not healthy enough to play. And then Jacoby Brissett goes from looking like he has a torn ACL to he's ready to get back in the game 
Coach Flores says, no, no, no. Now we got two quarterbacks who are injured but not so injured they can't play. Well, let's go with the other guy and see what he can do. And Tua, relative to where our standards have fallen for him, was awesome. Yeah, I mean, the one thing that I applaud Tua Tonga-Valoa for in this game is that, look, he didn't have much of a chance because this Baltimore rush is just as good. But he worked the edges of the uh, of the Ravens' defense, and he made enough plays to move the ball. And, you know, again, I still am concerned about Tua's ability to A, stay healthy, B, be consistent, uh, especially with deep balls. And, of course, that's a that's an excellent throw right there. But last night was a very good sign for Tua Tonga-Valoa. Uh, and, you know, look, I'm surprised just like everybody else is. I didn't think he was going to play at all. And I think Jacoby Brissett is probably pretty surprised, too. He wanted the rest of that game. Oh, he absolutely did. And it'll be amazing if down the stretch the Dolphins do enough with Tua win enough that Stephen Ross at the end of the year decides to make no major changes. Let's just try it all over again next year. Let's not forget they started one and six. There's a reason they were one and six and they had credit to them. They beat the Texans. I who hasn't, I didn't put a whole lot of stock in that. (laughs) This was impressive last night. I mean, I said it yesterday. Hey, the, the, the dolphins got their win for the month. I, I was as stunned by this outcome as I've been by any outcome this year, because I don't expect the Ravens, to have a night like that. I don't expect them to get complacent. I don't expect them to be tired because they played deep into overtime four days earlier because we've seen them play deep into overtime against the Raiders and turn around and beat the Chiefs the following Sunday night. I didn't expect any of this. So credit to the Dolphins. But when you have a night like this, it reminds me of what happened with the Jaguars on Sunday from their perspective. It's the kid who brings home straight A's for the first time. The parents say, why the hell haven't you done this before? And you, we, you are expected to do it now. Every quarter, the Dolphins are expected to do it now every week. And if they don't build on this, it's an aberration. That's really the question going forward. Is this the start of some new trend in Miami or is this just a fluke that we're not going to see repeated? And it's up to them at this point. Here's the thing that NFL teams do, Mike, and that is that they essentially figure out what it is that is your Achilles heel, okay? And they essentially figure out what you do great and then they try to neutralize it. Well, there is no question right now that every team that plays Miami is going to be ready. I will bet you a lot that most teams the rest of the way have their best blocking tight end, whether even if they have to activate him from the practice squad for the game will have that tight end up and ready to go against Miami, in essence, to have a sixth offensive lineman to play consistently against Miami for the rest of the year. Because, look, I'm not saying Miami will do that. They they may run three safety blitzes instead of 38 in the next couple of weeks. But they now have shown that when they are desperate and they are throwing out all the stops... They're going to blitz 38 times. I mean, you know, and and mostly you say, my God, that is not sustaining, is it? Probably not, but I'm sure we're going to find out. Well, and it's desperation, quite possibly, that if 
Brian Flores didn't win that game last night and they go back into the tailspin that they were in, he may not survive it. And Sims kind of made that point yesterday. He saw this, and I think he picked the Dolphins not not to win but to cover just because Flores knows that he's running out of chances and, and this is a great opportunity for him to give Stephen Ross something to think about moving forward. Maybe you don't end this experiment after only three years because maybe some of that time with Bill Belichick is starting to bubble up and there's hope for the future. Let's hear from both Tua and Brian Flores on the win and on Tua coming off the bench and looking as good as he ever has. It means a lot. Uh, you know, we beat a really, really good team. Um, you know, this is uh, it's a tough team to beat. Um, but, you know, the guys are happy. You know, they're, they're sore, but, you know, at the end of a win, you know, nothing really hurts. So it feels good. Definitely some 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 good plays. Obviously, to throw to Albert there at the end, um, hit Jalen on a couple on a big on a big play. Uh, so I thought he did a, a lot of good things. Um, you know, some throws I wish he, he probably wishes he had back. But uh, you know, overall, you know, it helped us win the game. Yes, he did, and they got it done. But you know, don't get don't be ta- too excited, Coach. Yeah, well, I mean, come well, on, you it, just it, yeah. have an incredible win. And, hey. you know, he looks like he, his dog just died. <laughs> 14 years of Bill Belichick. It'll do it to you. It will suck the soul right out of your body. I think that that's, that's probably that. Sorry, Bill, but that, that's how he acts. You, you, you see that all the time, and you think that's what good coaches do. And that's what Brian Flores does. On Tua. Hey, Mike, Mike, can I? I don't know. How, can I, I just? Go ahead. One? Let me just say this. Let me say this real quick. Go. I don't know how Tua is going to survive physically. I, I saw him there in those pads. Right. I, he's got he's to add more armor to his body. He's not yeah. big enough to survive in the NFL. He looked like a kid in his Halloween costume. He's not going to survive in the NFL over the long term with that build. He's not going to. Russell Wilson's about the same height. Russell Wilson has a physique that screams out, I can take these hits. I can survive. Tua's got to do something. He's got to spend some time in the gym after this season ends. He's got to come back looking like a badass because he's not going to survive with that physique. Mike, there's no team built to resuscitate an awful seat, awful two months of his first two months of the season uh, better than the Miami Dolphins. And look, you can look at the Dolphins and say, boy, when we see them on the schedule, we're happy. But look at Miami's schedule in the next month. They are at the Jets next week. And then after that, three straight weeks at home, Carolina, the Giants, and the Jets. So, look, there's no excuses for Miami. None. You know, if they want to save their season, which seems impossible, but if they want to save their season, I could see them saving it over the schedule with the schedule over the next month that is as advantageous as any team in the NFL has. And, and think about this, Peter. And I don't know if this is an advantage or a disadvantage, I would regard it as an advantage at this point. After they play the Jets on Sunday, after they get a mini-buy, they play the Jets the Sunday before Thanksgiving. They are home from the Monday of Thanksgiving week until the day after Christmas. They are home for the holidays, literally. They don't, they don't travel anywhere. They've got those three home games and a buy in between. They are not on the road again until Monday night, December 27, against the New Orleans Saints. And 
it's a way to kind of settle in, take care of business one week at a time. And, and they're three and six. Okay, let's say they win these next four games. Seven and six has you very much alive going into the final stretch. Now, what you do against the Saints, Titans, and Patriots is a different issue altogether. But if they can win these next four, I, who knows? Who knows? I, you know, it's 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 I mean, cra- I don't cra- think crazier that, things have happened. I don't think they're good enough to do that. I don't think they're good enough to do that. But the fact is, that it's possible that they could do it, and. You know, it's possible that they're sitting there. I mean, in an absolute total ideal world, they head into a deadly stretch at the end of their season, which is New Orleans, Tennessee, and New England. Uh, they could end up very close to 500, a game, a game, you know, below 500. And so, look, that's what we're saying about everybody in the NFL having a chance. I misspoke. These damn bye weeks screw me up every year, and they're screwing me up more this year than ever. They're three and seven. They've played ten. They haven't had their bye yet. So they win the next four. They get to seven and seven. Even then, with all these other teams clustered with four losses or fewer, but they're all around three or four losses, right? Uh, There's they 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 run these next four. They, they take care of the Jets in New York. They come home for a month. They win three in a row at home. When they go to the Saints on December 27 to cap Christmas weekend, there's a chance they're going to be 7-7 seven and seven going into the last three games. Yeah. And and uh, that's a hell of a lot more than we could have hoped for when they won their first game against the Patriots and lost seven in a row. So good news for the Dolphins. At least, you, you just, look, I, I've, I've always said the key is to be relevant after Thanksgiving. And yeah. if the if the Dolphins can beat the Jets, there's no guarantees. Yeah, look, we can't we can't assume anything at this point, but if they can beat the Jets, they're going to be relevant after Thanksgiving. And then what you do with it, that's up to you. But what they did last night, at least for the short term, we have to take them seriously. And we can't take a break without acknowledging what looked like one of the best designed plays in NFL history until we realized it was the right guard who caught the pass. Robert Hunt this was just like, what are we seeing here? It looked like that was the design. <laughs> and it was a touchdown. Bad call. He got the ball across. Give me the touchdown. Never mind the fact that I'm the right guard and I'm grossly ineligible. Don't don't mind. I mean, what's he doing? It's like, you know what? I'm never I'm never gonna have the football. I'm never gonna have the football right here. Screw it. I'm taking it, and I'm going to have some fun. (laughs) And how great is it that the side judge goes and starts pointing at the ground like, that's not a fumble. That's not a fumble, you know? And look at that. It's a touchdown. 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 We we heard from both Robert Hunt and Brian Flores after the best play in NFL history that didn't count. I don't know. It's, it's 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 crazy. It's like that's a great play, man. Like that's that was tight. Like I never seen, it. you know. So it's it's that. But then, like I said, it's a penalty. So I definitely hear about it. My perspective is, it, you know, it was it was a penalty. It was going to be a penalty. It was a penalty. I'm sure it was fun to watch for for many, but it was definitely it was a penalty. Great effort. Incredible effort. It's a penalty though. It's a great. You know, you know maybe we'll put a play in for him. 
Yeah, hey, all you got to do is make sure he's eligible. Reports as eligible, lines up as eligible. Other than that, it was a great play. Other than the fact that he clearly wasn't eligible nor reported as eligible, it was a hell of a play. And he showed he can catch. You know Wouldn't what that it be- looked like? Go ahead. You know what it really looked like that was hilarious? It looked like Tua Tonga-Valoa had set up a screen for the right guard. And, you know, and I kept thinking to myself, now, wait a second. What did I miss here? Was he outside the tackle box? And did we just not hear the ref say, you know, 68 Miami is an eligible receiver? I, because, because like, who would, who would actually catch that ball thrown to him? Aren't you told in, in guard school that if something <laughs> like this happens, bat the ball to the ground? No, I mean, he wanted his NFL films highlight you know the autumn wind is a pirate you know he wanted he wanted his moment that's what he wanted and moments like that make a team fun and there aren't enough fun teams in the nfl right now and the dolphins have been kind of a boring confusing what's wrong with them more than what's right with them If they really want to have some fun, and this is where Brian Flores has to strip the Bill Belichick DNA out of his body if he wants to do this, they could put in a play for him. They could line him up eligible and throw to him in the goal line. He could become a thing. Robert Hunt could become the centerpiece of some fun that the Dolphins have. And sometimes having something like that is the thing that can get a team through the grind and get a team willing to come together and bust their ass. And and I think if the Dolphins are smart here, they'll run with this. They'll go with this, and they'll let Robert Hunt kind of become a thing, and they'll get creative about ways they could maybe use the guy. He showed, even though he never should have done it, he showed he can catch, he showed he can run, he showed he can dive. So why not use him? I mean, look, it was fun for a moment. And you're right. A lot of times this game is not fun enough. But I guess I would probably say, is being fun worth a penalty in that case? And No, uh, no, but be fun. Be fun. Be fun the right way. Come up with a way to use him as a tight end. Put him in the backfield. Make it fun that way. Yeah. 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 Don't don't just don't just tell him every don't tell him every once in a while, just catch the ball when you shouldn't. I'm saying use him like Refrigerator Perry style because that, that, can, yeah. that can galvanize the team and it can get more people to show up for the games. Now, winning is what gets people to show up, but I, I heard Harbaugh talk earlier about crowd noise based upon the images I saw of the crowd. I, maybe there were some late arrivals because there sure weren't a lot of people there at kickoff and there's no reason to go. Why would you go on a Thursday night to see the Dolphins? Well, they gave people a reason to show up for that stretch of three straight home games that is looming. Let's take a break. Speaking of fun or other adjectives we could use, we finally know where Odo Beckham Jr. will continue his career. He's headed to Hollywood. We'll talk about that when PFT Live continues right after this. Quaker has been a trusted name in breakfast for over 145 years, which means they've been milling oats since before the invention of the zipper, the stop sign, and the ballpoint pen. And while a lot of things have changed since then, some things have stayed the same, like the great taste and quality of Quaker oats. Quaker has something for everyone, like old-fashioned and quick oats, great for cooking and baking, or instant oatmeal in different flavors and varieties, whether it's lower sugar or added protein or fiber. Quaker oats can satisfy the whole family. There's even... Quaker Fruit Fusion, 
with real fruit pieces, added vitamins, and no artificial colors for a bold start to a bold morning. Quaker, getting up to some good since 1877. Look for Quaker Oats in your local grocery store. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. I've played with a bunch of good ones, you know, in my career, and, and uh, he's definitely, uh, he's up there, he's a talented guy. Um, you know, it's it's one of those things where everybody on our team carves out their role. They do a great job of figuring out what that role is going to be, um, you know, and going out there and proving it, you know, both on the practice field and in games and, and getting those opportunities. I know he'll do the same. I mean, nothing really surprises me anymore, to tell you the truth. Um, uh, you know, I know that, uh, you know, this is an enticing city to play in. This is an enticing organization to come play for. Um, we have a bunch of other great players on this team. Um, you know, AD, Jalen, Cooper, all those guys, great players. Um, so it's exciting for other people to come in and play with those guys. So uh, I'm just happy to be a part of it. Matthew Stafford talking about the surprise of the day. Odo Beckham Jr. choosing the Los Angeles Rams, a team that wasn't even on the radar screen going into Thursday. And Peter, look, one of the problems with having choices is you eventually have to choose. And I think that Odo Beckham Jr. changed his mind a few times, had different number one targets that that moved. And it was the Seahawks over the weekend. And then the Saints emerged. And then the Chiefs were the prevailing selection as of Wednesday former teammates from Cleveland former teammates that he was maybe very good friends with who he went to LSU with were telling people that Odo Beckham Jr. was going to the Chiefs that that was the story throughout Wednesday into late Wednesday night early Thursday and then all of a sudden it's the Rams and the Chiefs fell off the radar screen it was between the Rams and the Packers who had made him a minimum salary offer now maybe they sweetened it but the report came out on Wednesday that it was a minimum salary offer and a lot of people said well they aren't really serious about getting him if that's all they're going to do maybe they pumped it up a little bit more but it was Rams Packers and 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 of course it had to finish with a 30 minute episode of complete confusion where the Rams announce it and then they delete it and then Odell Beckham tells multiple reporters he's picking between the Rams and the Packers and then as we're trying to digest that he finally picks the Rams and now all that doesn't matter because he's a member of the Rams. I, I was very surprised, but not surprised because this is what the Rams do. They see a big name who's available and they make a play to go get him. The Rams are basically becoming like one of those NBA teams where 
you know, I think it was the Nets and the Lakers last year where every veteran just wants to go there and they forget about their money. They leave their wallet at the door and they just go in and play and try to win a championship. That's what the Rams are right now because for people who don't understand this, this is important because a, a lot of the sentiment publicly afterwards was, wait a second. I mean, the Rams have less than zero money. How in the world could they do this? When the Rams cut Deshaun Jackson, they saved $900,000 because Deshaun Jackson had per game roster bonuses of $100,000 each week. And that was basically on their cap for the rest of this year. So there's 900,000 there. And they, they searched through the couch cushions and all they had to find was $350,000. They had that. So now in, in, in basically guaranteeing him only $1.25 million for the rest of the year, they were able to get him. But two points that I find very interesting. Do you know what Sean McVay and Les Snead both said internally after this got done? They basically were talking, you know, among their front office group and said, you know, what's amazing is how much Odell Beckham Jr. knew about our organization, about our offense, and about our building. He said, he told them, hey, I've studied your culture. I studied your offense. I studied your building. Guys like Jalen Ramsey helped him. But I'll tell you what else helped him. In the offseason, because Odell Beckham Jr. spent so much time in L.A., he's gotten to know Sean McVay. And they've had discussions about offense. There's nothing, no tampering or anything like that. McVay never thought Odell Beckham Jr. would be on the Rams. But that's one part of it. So he was, he was comfortable in that. But I think the one other thing is that Sean McVay said to Odell Beckham, I am not going to promise you 10 targets a game. You know what I am going to promise you? Matthew Stafford will throw to the open guy. So when you watch the tape on a Monday after a game and you think, oh my God, I was open. Robert Woods was wide open. Or Cooper Cup was wide open. Or Tyler Higby had nobody around him. And so that is why I think all those things combined is why Odell Beckham Jr. chose the Rams. But, but it's one thing to throw to the open guy. It's another thing to create plays that are aimed at showcasing a certain player. You know, I, I think that, like, for example, Cooper Cup, every ball that gets thrown to him isn't the product of Matthew Stafford going through his progressions and recognizing Cooper Cup is open. The play is designed for Cup to get open, and he does, and he gets the yep. ball, period. So will Beckham have some of those? You know, a point that Miles Simmons has made, and he – covered the Rams for the Rams for a couple of years. They go three receiver, and they don't sub in and out. They go Cooper Cup, Robert Woods, Van Jefferson. That was one of the reasons why Deshaun Jackson wanted out. Peter, that's what confuses me about this. Deshaun Jackson, who showed from time to time when he had an opportunity, when they would throw the ball to him deep, he still got it. He wanted off the train. I want to go somewhere else where I'm going to play more and get the ball more. So how do you make Odell Beckham Jr. not come to that same conclusion. It's a zero-sum game. Every target that goes to him is one fewer target that goes to Cup, Woods, and Jefferson. And, you know, we can say, oh, Beckham, Beckham understands it. He gets it. He's fine with it. Well, okay. But still, whatever he gets is taken away from the others. And at some level, the others have to have a human reaction where they say, what the hell? We got a pretty good team here. 
Why, why, why are we doing this? Hey, why are look, we undermining already, the guys who have been busting their asses? It could be that, hey, look, you know, the Rams so far this year have been pretty fortunate, okay, in that you know, they haven't had one of their big three injured, you know, for any length of time. And, and look, in my opinion, one of the reasons why did the Kansas City Chiefs in the 2020 draft think very, very seriously about drafting Henry Ruggs if he fell even a little bit more? Why did they think seriously about trading up from the end of the round to say 20, 21, 22, if for some reason Ruggs was still there? Because they know that you know diminutive receivers and, and, and obviously the Rams receivers are not like Tyreek Hill body types necessarily, but they know that diminutive receivers get hurt a lot. And so they wanted some padding, some insurance uh, for receivers who get hurt. And the Rams have been very fortunate this year. Their skill players, with the exception of Cam Akers, have basically showed up every week. So I guess I would look at this, Mike, and I would say, in addition, that I believe that Sean McVay and the, and the team has basically gone to the receivers and said, listen, you have to understand you know, it's like a receiver. It's like Antonio Brown going to the Bucks. You know, if 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 Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, O.J. Howard, all those guys, if any of them are going to be really kind of pissy about it, I'm not saying the Bucks won't do it. But what I am saying is that could have an impact on their decision. I've been told that every one of the receivers on the Rams absolutely categorically said, "Bring them in." We'll make it work. All we want to do is win. Well, and for Odo Beckham Jr., what he had to decide was what was important to him. He could have gone to the Saints and been the number one receiver in that offense with Sean Payton. And caught 25 plays. balls the rest of the year. Right, yeah. right. And, and set himself up for free agency. See, it's not just what you make this year. It's what you make next year. And if you go to the Saints and you reestablish yourself as a number one receiver, even with the concerns at quarterback, but there's no concern at coach and there's no concern as to where you fit in the pecking order, that may have served him better in 2022. But don't you also think, Mike, Mike, I think you also have to think of if Odell Beckham Jr. is smart and he has rabbit ears, he hears what people say say about him and, and he knows that he's not thought of uh, in, in some circles, not necessarily among his teammates, but he's not thought of as the most unselfish teammate, okay? So in that case, what better way to prove that you are a team guy entering into an offseason where you could sign anywhere than to make some great catches and to just every day say, hey, listen, this is all about the team. I don't care how many uh, targets I get. And so he's got a little bit of, you know, image rebuilding to do for the other 31 general man, 30 general managers in the NFL, I think. Well, and part of it too is, look, the fact that no one made a major play 
for Odo Beckham. There was no land rush the moment he became a free agent. Right. No one blew him away. Maybe that was sobering for him. We said yesterday, the longer this goes, the greater the chance a team like the Rams is going to say, what the hell, let's throw our hat in the ring because nobody is saying we're going to pay you $5 million for the rest of the year and we have to have you come sign with us now, please, please, please. They didn't do that. And I think maybe that caused him to realize it's better to focus on being a good teammate and then you can establish yourself somewhere else as a good receiver. And I think that gets to, Peter, the rest of his money. It's $1.25 million that he will make. The $3 million in incentives isn't tied to how many passes he catches. Right. It's tied it's all to team, team incentives. accomplishments. Regular season, postseason, he gets that $3 million. Presumably the last bit of it is earned if they win the Super Bowl. So he's got every reason yes. to be a good teammate the rest of the season. John Johnson, who was his teammate in Cleveland and came to the Browns this year from the Rams, had some insights about Beckham's decision, speaking about it literally minutes after it happened when he spoke with reporters yesterday. Here's John Johnson. I just felt like, you know, they had a, a good thing going, like a complete offense. Uh, uh, I, I don't know. I just feel like I, be, from being in L.A., I know for a fact, like, the offense runs through Cooper Cup. Even in the run game, the pass game, the screen game, it kind of runs through Cooper Cup. And, you know, obviously, oh, there was a big name. He's, he's going to want that attention as well. So it'll be interesting. Coach McVay, he's, he's one of the best doing it. Y'all know he'll, he'll find a way to get it done. But, you know, just right off the bat, I'm like, I wouldn't really want to go there if I were him. But we'll see how it goes. And, you know, um, I wish him the best. Yeah, and uh, this is a guy that was with both both organizations and knows what it's like to be around Odo Beckham Jr. and what he wants. But you're right, Peter. He may have recognized for the rest of this season, it's in my best interest to want to be a good teammate, to want to get along with my quarterback, to want to just be one of the 53 and I'll do whatever they tell me to do. Mike, there's one other thing about what John Johnson said. And look, I totally respect John Johnson. Last year when Brandon Staley was the defensive coordinator in uh, with the Rams, he told me that John Johnson, who had the green dot on his helmet, he said he's one of the most reliable, uh, just excellent football players and teammates that he's ever seen on any of the teams that he has coached. So I totally get it. And his he's basically kind of firing a little bit of a very mild warning shot that this might not be Nirvana. But but here's the point I would make. What if you're Odell Beckham Jr.? You're 29 years old. You've just turned 29. You haven't done anything in the NFL basically in like four years or however long it's been since he was a touchdown machine. You know, he hasn't scored a touchdown in 13 months, for crying out loud. And before everybody says, well, yeah, he had knee surgery, he's got zero touchdowns in his last nine games. So, so you're Odell Beckham Jr. And you say, you know, let me take a deep breath here and let me go somewhere for two months and maybe three months if all goes well. Let me go somewhere. Let me try to win a Super Bowl ring. And let me just be the guy who is just... The contributor. And even if I believe I should be a star, let me just be the contributor. I'll have time next year to go sign somewhere when the cap is going up and someone will put their faith in me uh, if I keep my nose clean for the next two or three months. And let me just do this because I believe sometimes what we say and what we think about players is it's about 
the, the, the stats and the money, okay? And I'm not doubting that for the vast majority of players, those are huge uh, impetuses for you when you make a decision on where you wanna go. But what about when you're nine years old and you're playing football with your friends in New Orleans and you just imagine one day winning the Super Bowl, hoisting the Lombardi Trophy, and, and what better chance with a brilliant kind of offensive scheme and, and a great coach and all that, what chance are you going to have the rest of your career to walk into a just add water situation and have a chance to win a Super Bowl? It's never going to happen again. You'll have time to chase the money and to chase the opportunity this offseason. But right now, Let's be like Von Miller. Let's go somewhere and win a ring. And it has been since 2016 that Odo Beckham Jr. was a pro bowler, 1,367 yards that year. He's had a couple of thousand yard seasons since then, but just barely. He hasn't had a big season in five years. And, you know, that's an excellent point. I also think at some level what he dealt with in Cleveland and maybe we'll hear the whole story at some point. I think he and Baker Mayfield never mixed. So getting along with the quarterback is going to be a factor for him. And it feels like he'll get along with Matthew Stafford. And, and again, he, I agree with you. He's just accepting his status. He's accepting his role and we'll see how it plays out. Oh, by the way, they play Monday night in San Francisco and that gives Odell Beckham Jr. an extra day. Maybe they'll have something for him. Maybe they won't. Then they have their bye. After the bye, it's a trip to Lambeau Field to take on the Packers. The other finalist, per Beckham himself, once it was all boiled down, once he had gone from Seahawks to Saints to Chiefs, it was Rams or Packers. Packers will get to host Odell Beckham Jr. And you just have to wonder, really, Peter, at the end of the day, how big of a push the Packers made who was behind it, and you know, was this an Aaron Rodgers, I really want this guy, and the Packers failed to close the deal? It's going to be something to keep an eye on. Look, from what I know of this situation, uh, Les Snead um, and Sean McVay and two incredibly important players in this were Von Miller and Jalen Ramsey. And Jalen Ramsey is FaceTiming Odell Beckham, uh, you know, more than once selling him on this team. And again, I have no idea what the Packers did, but I doubt sincerely that Brian Gutekunst and Matt LaFleur put the full court press on him that, uh, that the Rams did. And Mike, you mentioned before that, you know, and, and look, one of the interesting parts of this is that nobody even heard of the Rams being involved. I think until Jordan Rodriguez of, of The Athletic tweeted about it yesterday. I'm not positive when it first came up, but nobody heard it. I didn't hear it. I'd be, I mean, I'm not working this story hard, but I never heard it. But what happened is very quietly, Sean McVay, and I'm not sure whether it was Tuesday or Wednesday, that's when he had his big conversation with Odell Beckham. And that's when he basically said to him things like, I'm not telling you you're going to get a bajillion targets, but I can tell you that Matthew Stafford's going to throw to the open guy. And so he had it in his head all along that if I want to go, you know, and there's part of this, Mike, you know, 
You say you want to win a Super Bowl. You say you want to play in a great offense with a great quarterback. Listen, this is not about money. This is put up or shut up. Do you really want to have a great chance to do all those things and be with this great offense, you know, great quarterback, coach, all this stuff? If you do, sign here. If you want to make $10 more, then go sign somewhere else. But I think the Rams were very comfortable that they were in this all along. And and I'm glad you mentioned the Matthew Stafford angle in all this because a Titans fan would say right now, if he has time to throw to the open guy, if he doesn't have Jeffrey Simmons all over him, if he isn't being spun around and throwing the ball to a defensive player. And, you know, that's a nice little bright, shiny object for the Rams fans as we process what happened on Sunday night. And I'm sure the Rams think it was an aberration and they'll come up with a way to fix it, but they better because it's going to be impossible for Matthew Stafford to get the ball to any of his receivers if he's getting harassed the way he did on Sunday night, and it's going to be more reason for defenses to try to get after him because the better the receivers, the more urgency there is to get to the quarterback before he can throw it to one of them. Speaking of guys who throw the ball, yesterday, another surprise, an even bigger surprise, Cam Newton. My goodness, we don't even have to Photoshop this. Just just pull up the photos of Cam Newton playing for the Panthers. We'll discuss that next on PFT Live. I'm Roman Mars, host of 99% Invisible. I'm excited to be teaming up with Lexus GX and SiriusXM on some very special 99PI episodes. We're heading to some of the cities in the U.S. that have special meaning for me and exploring the ways that these cities marry form and function. To learn more about the Lexus GX and SiriusXM and Lexus vehicles, visit Lexus.com slash GX and SiriusXM.com slash Lexus Trial. The all-new Lexus GX. Live up to it. Check out the 99% Invisible feed now and listen to these special episodes. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. 